Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now radio check. Now radio check for order. Half hour is ago. 50,000 watts. Oh, that sound is beautiful. This is Bradley J on that control. Affirmative, I read you. What are you talking about? This conversation can serve purpose. WBZ News Radio 1030. You are Jay talking. It's a radio show. We're live midnight to five. If anybody asks you what kind of show it is, you say, awesome. That's what kind of show it is. We're going to combine science fiction and music tonight, both probably with our guest and probably after. We'll continue with this. We have Jason Heller. I keep wanting to say Joseph Heller. It's Jason Heller. And the book is Strange Stars, David Bowie, Pop Music, and the Decade that Sci-Fi Exploded. How you doing? I'm doing great. I wish I were Joseph Heller, but I am merely Jason. No, great to be here, Bradley. How you doing? Great. We're glad that you uh, are you. Now, what have you attempted and succeeded to do here? Uh, so in my book, Strange Stars, it's a nonfiction book, and it basically covers the decade of the 70s and talks about how science fiction influenced um, some of the biggest stars of the decade, uh, obviously people like David Bowie and Rush and George Clinton, um, but also a lot of the uh, lesser-known, more underground uh, artists, really in all genres of music in the 70s, and just kind of a lot of the parallels that were happening culturally between music Music and the whole idea of futurism and, and what tomorrow might bring that was really such a, a, a really potent thing in the 70s. Okay, David Bowie is central to this book. How central was he to the phenomenon? Yeah, well, he was the center of it. I mean, he, it was basically Space Oddity, which that, that, that was a really beautiful uh, <laughs> a little appropriation there. Uh, but his uh, song, Space Oddity, in 1969, really kind of kicked off the whole uh, movement. Um, there were people that had done science fiction-influenced music before him, uh, most notably people like The Birds uh, and Sid Barrett's lineup of Pink Floyd and Jimi Hendrix. But it was really with Space Oddity that the whole idea that pop music could be used to really seriously and earnestly um, uh, convey some of these ideas about space exploration, um, alien intelligence, uh, dystopia, um, computers, of course, which were already becoming such a huge part of, of uh, life uh, even way back then. It was really kind of a big turning point, uh, and it showed people that there was a viability to this idea, with the seemingly crazy idea of singing about outer space uh, or robots or, or what have you uh, in popular music. 
So we'll get to some of the other bands besides Bowie. We'll stick with Bowie a little bit. Yeah. And I, it's true, in the 60s, science, science fiction, space flight, space travel, <laughs> aerodynamics had really insinuated themselves into the popular culture in the shape of automobiles. They look like rockets. The name of mm -hmm. automobiles, Delta 88 and things like that. And so it's only natural that, that Bowie would appropriate this. But what, yeah, what um, is it about Bowie? Go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, it, it, you know, it was the fact that Bowie was not just someone who was uh, attuned to what was happening in the late 60s, particularly with the race to the moon between the U.S. and Russia, uh, the Soviet Union, and how that was really such uh, a, a huge thing that was looming in people's consciousness. Um, you know, this whole idea that, that John Kennedy had, you know, uh, brought up that we were going to try to get to the moon by the end of the 60s. Um, and the attendant, you know, kind of moon mania that was happening in the late 60s. But on top of that, David Bowie had been a big fan of science fiction since he was a kid in the 50s. So for him, it was really only natural that uh, he started to bring a lot of these ideas into music. And of course, you know, we always have to remember that in the late 60s, um, rock musicians in particular were trying to think of ways that they could expand uh, the power of what could be accomplished in the rock music format, right? It was the birth of progressive rock in the late 60s. And while David Bowie wasn't a progressive rock artist per se, he was definitely aligned with them in the sense that he was looking for the biggest types of concepts and themes, ideas, philosophies that he could put into his music. Um, and what's a bigger backdrop, what's a bigger canvas than the cosmos itself? Uh, and that was how Bowie approached um, his science fiction music. Any other thoughts on why science fiction resonated with David Bowie so much? I have an idea, but I want to see what you say first. Yeah, well, one of the big things was, uh, in particular, was when he saw um, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey in 1968, uh, which is kind of a no-brainer, right? The, the similarity between Space Odyssey and Space Oddity is, of course, no coincidence. But the film really triggered in David Bowie a lot of uh, the, the seriousness w with which that he would approach science fiction, not just with Space Oddity, but of course with uh, a lot of his other science fiction music in the 70s, um, you know, starting with uh, uh, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and The Spiders from Mars, his 1972 science fiction concept album. So Kubrick's 2001 was a huge influence, but you know, Bowie himself uh, you know, believed in UFOs. He was a UFO watcher. He, him and his friends would get together and, and scan the skies, uh, you know, obviously with the help of a few psychedelic substances, <laughs> or would look actively in the late 60s uh, for UFOs. So, you know, those were also kind of, uh, you know, some of the big things that were, that were kind of going around at the time. And, and, you know, David Bowie was tapping into those just as much as he was 
you know, the whole idea that, wow, you know, we're about to set foot, we as the human race are about to set foot on a planetary body that is not the Earth. Like, what does that mean for us? Uh, you know, how can that be that sense of awe and wonder and fear uh, and anxiety, all these things put together, how can they be expressed in song? So I have an additional thought as to why science fiction resonated with Bowie so much. Concept of the alien, of course, has a lot to do with science fiction. And I suppose like a lot of people who become rock stars, he felt alien. He felt like he was kind of an alien, kind of an outsider, and he embraced all that. And, of course, loving the alien and the, uh, the idea of an alien pops up all the time. Ziggy Stardust is certainly an alien creature. Yeah, Absolutely. No, yeah, that was always a huge part of, you know, Bowie's whole kind of uh, identity, the, you know, how he identified himself in a lot of ways. And, of course, in the middle of the 70s, he actually played an alien on screen in The Man Who Fell to Earth, uh, which in a lot of ways um, was kind of, the, the you know, the hinge uh, when it came to Bowie's a whole use of science fiction uh, in music um, because when he was able to actually portray an alien uh, on screen and do so so compellingly, um, you know, The Man Who Fell to Earth is not a perfect movie by any means, uh, but Bowie's portrayal of an alien who is stranded on Earth and is trying to get home is something that seemed that he was destined uh, to play. What about David Bowie resonated with you? Because I can tell this is more than a passing thing. Yeah, it's definitely a personal project. I mean, David Bowie was the first concert I ever saw uh, when I was a kid, a teenager in the 80s. I saw him on the Glass Spider Tour. And it's a tour that a lot of critics at the time and ever since uh, have kind of maligned for being overblown and way too slick. Uh, and, you know, I guess I kind of walked away from it with a real different experience when I was a kid because what I came away with is already having been a Bowie fan for a few years at that point then getting to see him live was the whole idea that his whole massive sprawling stage spectacle that he had going on on the Glass Spider tour was something that really did tap into these ideas of science fiction and the fantastic which I was really into uh, back then as I am now so David Bowie really did uh, kind of resonate with me at an early age in so many ways and you know uh, I dedicated the book to my my mom and she was a huge rock and roll fan she still is and you know Bowie was just always on in the background when I when I was growing up it was something that was uh you know David Bowie was almost treated like uh like a religious figure in my household uh so I, I did definitely uh approach this project with a really kind of personal and passionate point of view I'd like to think do you see any common denominator between Bowie fans, some glue that glues them together, something about them, something that they gain? Is there something they gain from their association with Bowie art? 
Yeah, I mean, I uh, I wouldn't want to say there is one single thing, but I, one of the things that I see the most and that I definitely feel myself is that David Bowie, by having inhabited so many different uh, personas uh, and images uh, over the, the decades that he was active as an artist, I think that he really tapped into the idea um, that... A lot of us who are Bowie fans uh, and just a lot of us in general um, definitely feel, no matter how far we go in life, that, that in a lot of ways we're, we never fully figure out who we are and that maybe sometimes there's nothing wrong with having uh, multiple outlooks or multiple ways uh, of seeing the world or having your identity kind of change or your self-image evolve uh, over the years. Um, and then the idea of the alien that that Bowie definitely embodied, um, you know, that was a metaphor for lots of things. Uh, it was a metaphor for um, maybe being an outsider. Uh, it was a metaphor for maybe being gay or bisexual uh, or having some other, um, you know, uh, sexual identity um, or gender identity. And I think that all of those things um, were are, are things that 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 David Bowie was able to symbolize to people. Uh, and that's one of the most powerful things, I think, about his whole life and career. It wasn't just the music he made or the films that he starred in. It was the fact that his entire life felt like this art project, uh, uh, practically from start to finish. Uh, and that is something that I think is so compelling to so many people um, who are creative uh, or who just kind of have that sort of poetic soul. Let me add to that and say that perhaps some of the attraction is that Bowie gave you permission to be you and showed you that you could succeed not only in spite of being you, but because of being the most pure you you can be. Yeah, you know, and that's that's actually a, a kind of the the really beautiful paradox of Bowie is he did that absolutely, but he also gave people permission to be people other than themselves. You know, he gave people permission to um, to be able to cultivate uh, an image or a persona or take parts of yourself, um, facets of yourself, and kind of play those up and maybe create an identity uh, and, and maybe have fun with that and maybe learn something about yourself. Um, so that is one of the great paradoxes that, that's so beautiful about Bowie is that in being so many different beings, uh, Bowie wound up being himself more than anything else, that he was exploring these different uh, facets or elements of his personality, and we all have those. Bowie was no more complicated than any other person on Earth. We are all that complicated. It might be, you know, he was just able to express that and display it out for the public, but we all have lots of different characters locked up in us, uh, not to get too multiple personality about it, but we all do, and I think that that w is one of the great things about Bowie is he did point the way for us to be able to be not just the one person we are, but the many people that we, we feel we might be.
What's your favorite Bowie persona, at least this week? Well, this week, uh, I would say it is Halloween Jack, which is, of course, the shortly-lived uh, persona that attended um, his 1974 album, Diamond Dogs, which I always liked Diamond Dogs. It's an album that a lot of Bowie fans are a little bit split on because it's a very kind of dark and grim and kind of murky and menacing album which are all positive <laughs> adjectives to me. And it, it's an album that I think a lot has got a lot of critical reevaluation as the years have gone by in a positive way. But Halloween Jack is um, this kind of eye-patched, kind of punk rock, before punk rock looking kind of uh, character. And he inhabits a place called Hunger City, which is the setting of Diamond Dogs, this concept album that takes place in this science fictional dystopia full of mutants. And it's this lurid, depressing, grim, horrific place. And uh, Halloween Jack is kind of uh, a denizen of, of this entire uh, uh, milieu that, that Bowie has created. And what's so interesting about Diamond Dogs, as most Bowie fans know, is the album originally started out as an adaptation of George Orwell's 1984, which was Bowie, one of Bowie's favorite books. And Bowie was denied permission to adapt uh, the novel into a concept album um, by Orwell's uh, widow. Uh, Sonia Orwell. So Bowie took a few of the elements and songs from that original adaptation he was going to do, and then he kind of nestled them among all these other songs that take place in this Hunger City setting with this Halloween Jack character. And it's all very loose, like most of Bowie's concept albums are. It's not like this straight line, linear narrative, like a plot line that necessarily makes a lot of sense in the way that a more conventional novel or movie would. Um, but it's sort of this impressionistic, um, nonlinear, cut-up kind of story. Uh, and uh, Halloween Jack, to me, is this very cryptic and mysterious figure we know almost nothing about, and we just have a few images of Bowie uh, looking like that. And it is the fact that it, he was never as fully fleshed out of a character as, say, um, some of Bowie's better-known personas, uh, obviously Ziggy Stardust, uh, the Thin White Duke, on and on. So, so there's something about that character in particular that really appeals to me. It certainly was dark and certainly dystopian. Yeah, it was... it's pretty cheery stuff. It's, yeah. it's real, it, just some happy-go-lucky uh, lyrics from Bowie. And it is so ominous, and, and it is just really typical, not only where Bowie was at that time in 1974, but where a lot of science fiction was at the time. You know, dystopian films were kind of really, really big at that point, um, and they, they kind of dominated uh, the science fiction uh, cinema uh, realm at that point, um, you know, with films like Logan's Run and uh, obviously uh, Soylent Green and things like that. The, the thing that was, was interesting is um, after mankind went to the moon, after uh, uh, the Apollo 11 moon mission in 1969, and 
the success the year before of 2001 A Space Odyssey, science fiction films that took place in outer space actually fell out of favor pretty quickly, um, and it became much more in vogue to have films that were set in some dystopian version uh, of tomorrow, um, much like Bowie's Diamond Dogs was. And it was when... Star Wars came out in 1977 that um, Hollywood science fiction completely changed uh, practically overnight, and science fiction influenced music almost in response to Star Wars really kind of changed uh, overnight, and we started to see less and less dark, dystopian, or philosophical, uh, pensive kind of science fiction music, and we started to see a lot more kind of fun, exuberant flashy uh, type of science fiction songs. Can you give me some examples of uh, real good sci-fi and sci-fi that really affected music? I guess that's two separate questions. Yeah, um, well... I would say that when it came to uh, the musicians of the 70s, um, you know, the work of uh, Robert Heinlein, uh, who is, of course, one of the masters of science fiction, he, you know, his books tended to pop up um, more often uh, than a lot of other uh, of the classic science fiction authors in the work of a lot of these science fiction-influenced musicians in the 70s, particularly the work uh, Stranger in a Strange Land, uh, 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 which is about uh, 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 a man born on Mars. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Who comes down and lives. Uh, he comes back to Earth. And there's a whole kind of cult of personality that grows up around him. Something that really in a lot of ways it fits the rock star archetype so it's not surprising whatsoever that that is a work that would have popped up pretty often um but it's uh, there is actually a big shift between the science fiction that was influencing um the musicians of the early 70s as compared to the ones that kind of rose to prominence in the late 70s um because in the late 70s uh you know after punk rock we have this whole new wave movement and post-punk movement. So we have great groups like Devo, uh, Gary Newman, uh, Joy Division, the Human League. Um, a lot of these groups are really drawing from a different uh, era uh, and a, a very different style of science fiction. Um, authors like J.G. Ballard and uh, Philip K. Dick, uh, most famously. And, you know, this was a, a, a different type of science fiction that wasn't as obsessed with what was going on in in outer space or traveling through the stars, and a lot of it hit a lot closer to home and was a lot less heroic in nature and in many cases was anti-heroic in nature. And so those were some of the authors that were big influences. And another huge one is the British uh, science fiction and fantasy author Michael Moorcock, 
um, who not only uh, influenced tons of uh, groups, including Pink Floyd, but who actually performed with the British science fiction band Hawkwind and wrote songs for them and wrote lyrics uh, occasionally for Blue Oyster Cult, um, who were, of course, one of America's most prominent science fiction-influenced bands, although a lot of people don't realize that about them. Um, but, but Blue Oyster Cult absolutely were huge science fiction fans and put a lot of science fiction into their music. Okay, folks, uh, if you are listening, be thinking about your favorite science fiction-influenced band, because that's what we're going to do after. Now, Stranger in a Strange Land, and you talk about that being, uh, that fitting the rock star archetype. I hadn't considered that, but oh my God, it sure does. You have this this being coming down and, and being, and you talk about a cult of personality. I mean, that's what rock star is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there was, it's, it's very clear the ties between uh, Stranger in a Strange Land and uh, Ziggy Stardust. Uh, and in fact, Bowie used to brag in interviews right around the Ziggy Stardust time in the early 70s. Um, and this was before Bowie was in The Man Who Fell to Earth, uh, his first science fiction film that he starred in. Um, he used to brag that he was being considered uh, for uh, the lead role uh, uh, in Stranger in a Strange Land in a film adaptation. And of course, that never actually came to pass. Um, but Bowie was a Heinlein fan f since he was a kid, and that would have been a crowning achievement for him uh, to, to have portrayed that character uh, and to have embodied that archetype on the screen. If there were just, if a person were to read one book on science fiction, a science fiction book, what would it be? The, the 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 big one would it be stranger in a strange land for me personally um and i'm absolutely biased because this is my favorite novel i would say dune by frank herbert uh would be would be the one uh to read um for a lot of different reasons not only because it's uh, such an incredible book but even though it was published uh now over 50 years ago it still is a completely relevant book in so many ways with a lot of the themes it tackles um you know about things like colonialism and ecology uh and religion so they're actually uh you know there there's so many books th that i think are great in the science fiction canon, but when it comes to the first one I usually recommend to people, um, it's usually Dune. Another one I recommend usually right off the bat is The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin, another book from the late 60s like, uh, like Dune, um, because of the way that it is, has also remained timeless, um, although it tackles uh, a lot of completely different ideas than what Frank Herbert does, up to and including the idea of gender fluidity, which again is something that Bowie uh, was uh, was a medium he worked in uh, quite a lot, uh, obviously in the way that he portrayed himself and also um, what he sang about uh, in his music. Where does the Foundation trilogy by uh, Isaac Asimov fit in? Is that uh, substantial? Do you like? Did you like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so Asimov. 
um, you know, that whole generation of golden age science fiction authors, Heinlein, Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke, these were all really huge influences because those were the science fiction books that these rock stars of the 70s would have read when they were kids in the 50s and 60s. Um, so uh, actually, um, in Strange Stars, I write about what I consider to be the first science fiction concept album, the first true science fiction concept album, which is by this little-known progressive rock band from England called Julian's Treatment. Uh, and they put out an album in 1970 that was greatly influenced by Asimov's Foundation trilogy, um, right down to actually using a few um, characters and situations uh, from the novel and then kind of uh, melding that with uh, some original ideas and storylines and characters. Um, so in a way, uh, Isaac Asimov's foundation was right in there on the ground floor of the science fiction concept album. Julian's treatment. How did you yeah. ever come upon that? I'll tell you what, I worked in an independent record store for 10 years, <laughs> so I had the luxury of sitting behind a counter with one of the most amazing music libraries in the world. I worked at Wax Tracks Records, which is an independent record store here in Denver where I live. It's been around for 40 years, and it, is, it was, yeah, just a complete musical education working at the store, and I would explore anything and everything, and you know, when I was doing research for the book, um, even with as much as I thought that I had already known about this topic of science fiction influenced music, I learned so, so much uh, by digging in and doing research online and through lots of different resources. Um, there's so, so many amazing groups that we don't usually hear about that were around in the 70s that were just really making not only amazing music, but music that really stretched what you, you could talk about, what you could express, um, and even sonically what you could do with instruments and studio technology. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, in the 70s, everything was you know, a lot of these things were still being discovered and developed. Um, so there was a real sense of adventurousness uh, and, and that was going on with a lot of these musicians at the time, which to me is one of the most breathtaking things about this 70s science fiction music. Are you a science fiction writer yourself? I am, yes. I, I am, and uh, I'm an editor as well, uh, and actually have won a Hugo Award uh, in the science fiction field. Um, and I have always been a big science fiction lover, and to me, one of the reasons I really wanted to write this book is I'm involved in the music world because I'm a music journalist. You know, I write for Rolling Stone and places like that. And then I'm also uh, very involved in the science fiction world. And I have these two worlds that I love, and they didn't ever really seem to communicate with each other very much, um, even though there was such a big crossover. And so one of the reasons I wrote about Strange Stars was, for me, a way to kind of bring those worlds, the, these two really nerdy loves of mine, together into one book and then see if anyone might want to follow me there. Your latest novel, is it Taft, 2012? Yeah, that's the, What's that that's about? the last novel I wrote. It came out in 2012 and it, it's kind of this lighthearted uh, political satire about William Howard Taft coming back to life in the year 2012 and 
kind of reluctantly being goaded into running for president. Uh, and it's a book that was a lot of fun to write at the time. And I can't think of a less relevant book <laughs> you could possibly uh, uh, consider uh, in this uh, in the year 2018, um, because a lighthearted book about presidential politics um, seemed like a good idea in 2012. I can't imagine that flying in 2018. But it was a really fun book to write uh, at the time, for sure. So you wrote for, you write for Rolling Stone, Pitchfork, New Yorker, etc. Did that afford yeah. you an opportunity to meet David Bowie? I never did get to meet him. Um, and I had actually started working on Strange Stars um, before David Bowie died in January of 2016. And, you know, I... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Obviously, I had been hoping that once the book had progressed to a certain point, that I would be getting to interview him. Um, and that just never came to pass. The book never got to that point um, before he uh, died uh, of liver cancer. Unexpectedly, as we all remember, he hadn't announced it. It, it wasn't made public. Um, it was a, a well-kept secret that he was even ill. And so his death was completely sudden. So I never did get to meet him. And I I don't even know how I would have uh, uh, approached this subject with him of science fiction because one of the amazing things to me about David Bowie's relationship to science fiction, and I document this in the book, is how sometimes he would be completely in love with science fiction and would proudly talk about how all of these uh, science fiction creators, Kubrick, Arthur C. Clarke, Robert Heinlein, how they had all influenced him. And then when he felt he was being pigeonholed or was pigeonholing himself too much as a science fiction type of singer, he would react against that and, and reject it and, and downplay the science fiction uh, in his music. And so he had kind of this hot and cold thing with science fiction that went back and forth kind of throughout the 70s. Um, and the whole reason I stopped the book at the, seven, at the end of the 70s was in 1980, Bowie put out the song Ashes to Ashes, which is the sequel to Space Oddity from 1969, starring that character Major Tom. And I thought it was a really interesting bookend, uh, and Bowie himself kind of saw it as coming full circle back to science fiction um, after a decade of kind of going back and forth between these extremes. So what's your take on his final work, work that I guess he completed knowing that his end was near Black Stars? What, what is your yeah, take so on that? Yeah, Black Star. So, you know, it came out just days before David Bowie died. And um, besides the fact that I think it's one of the most incredible and ambitious albums that he ever put out, it is an album that once again circled back to science fiction. Uh, 
And it was, as you mentioned, an album that Bowie made knowing that he was terminally ill and knowing that this album was going to be a swan song. This was going to be his final statement. Uh, and of course, it, it being Bowie, it wasn't going to be a small statement. It was going to be a massive uh, statement. Uh, and it's a it's a formidable album to listen to. Uh, it is not a pop-friendly, radio-friendly uh, kind of record. It's a very, very challenging and densely layered uh, and ambitious work. But the elements of science fiction that run through it um, are something that, to me, really underlined the whole point I was trying to make in my book, Strange Stars, um, which was that the pop music album, and even the, in some cases just the humble pop song itself, it can actually be a really amazing vessel for the biggest ideas that the human mind can imagine, which are the ideas that are possible in science fiction. And Bowie just embodied that. I, I, he expressed it so well, and it was able to popularize it at the same time, whereas so many other artists who tried to do it uh, labored in obscurity, uh, bless their hearts. You know, Bowie was actually able to thrust this ambitious science fiction music into the mainstream uh, and connect it to so many other ideas about what was going on um, just with the human race in general as we were accelerating our uh, connection and our relationship and our reliance on technology uh, and as the future was just rushing at us so quickly it seemed throughout the end of the 20th century that David Bowie was able to really harness that and, and really ride that and express it uh, and Black Star just kind of tied all that together and, and put this this very uh, uh, dark and morbid and beautiful kind of bow on this whole idea that David Bowie was a science fiction creator as much as he was uh, a rock star. Jason, let's talk about some of the other bands that were inspired by science fiction. And I'll start you off with Kraftwerk. Kraftwerk just has that vibe, but also the B-side of one of their albums had Comet Melody Part 1, 2, and 3, I guess, or 1 and 2. Can you talk about them? Yeah, Kraftwerk, absolutely. Uh, you know, the German band, uh, and they were, besides being one of the pioneers of electronic music uh, in the 70s, kind of marked a big shift in what a lot of science fiction-influenced artists were doing because they very visibly and very conspicuously uh, weren't just a bunch of guys up there singing about science fiction, they basically operated, conducted themselves, and arranged their music as if they were characters in a science fiction story that they were in the process of creating as they went along. Um, and, you know, they're, of course, the most famous and identifiable uh, uh, whole idea behind Kraftwerk is that they sort of embody this industrial, um, robotic, robotic uh, yeah. image. And, but there, there are a lot of layers to that um, in, in a lot of ways. It's kind of both a celebration and a critique of how, you know, technology can, can dehumanize us and can also kind of liberate us at the same time. Uh, and so there's a lot of kind of complexity to, to what Kraftwerk uh, was doing in that regard. And they're pretty universally cited as influences, even, even by hip-hop artists. And they get sampled by hip-hop artists. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Kraftwerk were, uh, in particular, a huge influence on uh, the electro wave of hip-hop artists in, in the early 80s, like Africa Bombada. Um, being one of the biggest, always was citing Kraftwerk uh, as as a, a very big influence. Um, so in a way, it's not an influence that you, a lot of people might like see right away. But there, you know, there were tons of hip hop and funk artists who were listening very closely to what people uh, these these cold robotic German guys were doing uh, with their music uh, earlier in the 70s. And then, of course, in the book. Speaking of funk artists, the, you know, there's no way I could have written Strange Stars without having a really big uh, part of it devoted to George Clinton and Bootsy Collins and Parliament Funkadelic uh, because their 1975 album, um, The Mothership Connection, w- w- popularized science fiction music in a way that no one else had before, creating this kind of really vast um, mythology that carried over into multiple albums uh, and um, the whole idea that it was this kind of Afrofuturist uh, uh, fantasy um, that that really when you look at what George Clinton did on those Parliament albums, it's almost like his own version of Star Wars, but it predates Star Wars. I mean, it, it's kind of, it has th- uh, that vast of a mythology to it. Now, the song Maggot Brain, is that a science fiction-based song? I hadn't thought of it. it the, the, the very few lyrics in it, and one of them says, Come home, maggot brain. Is that come home from another planet? Yeah, see, it, I wouldn't say that it is uh, an explicitly science fiction song. And before the Mothership Connection in 1975, there were various Parliament and Funkadelic songs that would have tiny little bits of mentions uh, of of. Uh, science fiction elements to it without really kind of cohering or, or really kind of defining what was being talked about. But it, it wasn't until the Mothership uh, Connection came out in 1975 that those little hints, they were almost like little teasers, uh, you know, strewn throughout those albums, or, you know, over the previous few years before the Mothership Connection. And they were teasers for what was to come, that George Clinton, who of course claimed to have been abducted by aliens and, and to have uh, been visited by aliens, um, it was that album where all of it came together uh, and with such a focus and, and such a forceful kind of presentation uh, and, and actually very futuristic in the way that the music itself was made, um, particularly with, uh, with their use of synthesizers uh, that really kind of it gave the the blueprint to so many future pop R&B artists. And even today, you turn on the radio, listen to contemporary artists, and you can hear strains of, of Parliament Funkadelic in it today. Even if it's not being sampled, it's kind of become the vocabulary of pop music. Jason, you are a great guest. You're a great guest on music. You're a great guest on science fiction, too. And if you can ever figure out another excuse to come on the program, I hope you do, all right? I would love to. Thank you so much, Bradley. Okay. Strange Stars. This book, I think you'll love it if you like sci-fi or, or uh, music. David Bowie, pop music in the decade. Sci-fi exploded. Thank you so much. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.